Well, good morning, everyone. Like Danae said, we had a moment this morning where we leaned over to each other, and I said, it looks like there's a lot of people here. That's awesome. And she responded, no pressure. Don't screw this up. So I'm going to try my best. But before we get started, I feel like I really need to make an apology to anyone here who is currently mourning the result of the Blue Jays game yesterday. I feel somewhat responsible for it for a couple of reasons. The first, Jess and I were in Rosetown for their Harvest Festival, and as we were rushing out the door, I grabbed a hat, and we're in town, and someone pointed out that I grabbed my Mariner's hat. So, strike one. The other thing, I looked at the scores at well, the second inning, because we were on our way to my parents' place, and I noticed it was 2-0. I was like, this is good, this is good. But the problem is, is that I arrived at my parents at the seventh inning, and that's when everything <laughs> fell apart. So I feel somewhat responsible about it. So if you are mourning the loss, it is my fault. If you want to come and throw your shoes at me or the contents of your pocket, uh, if that helps you in the grieving process, I definitely want to be there for you. My brother actually, as we were watching and as things were falling apart, he sent me out of the room and into the porch because, again, I'm the reason they lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, and to hear your word. Father, would you speak through your spirit to each one of us that we can hear you speak to us and that we can move accordingly. So, Father, would you be in our midst? Would you speak to us? And would we experience a new depth of your love today? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we were listening to Brent and Celeste talk about marriage and marriage stats in Canada, Brent mentioned that it's about the four-year mark that, like, marriages start to, like, have some trouble. And then I was doing the math, and I was sitting there, and I was like, I think I've been married for four years now. So we're like, maybe we should go. But we celebrated another anniversary this summer, Jess and I, and it was the anniversary, the two-year anniversary of us buying our very first house. We somehow managed to purchase a house in the middle of the pandemic, which is incredibly interesting in itself. It was very interesting for us because we had no experience when it came to buying a house. The interesting thing is, is that we managed to buy our house without sitting ever in a mortgage broker's office, a realtor, or a lawyer, but somehow, we managed to do it over the phone, over Zoom, and over the internet. It was an experience that brought us a lot of joy, but also a lot of anxiety. It was incredibly interesting, but we managed to buy our house. It's always been a dream of mine to own a home, but more specifically to own a home that we can make into our own. Before we moved in, we had about a month to replace flooring and paint and make the house a little bit more the way we wanted to make it. Since then, we've done a couple of minor projects. One of the things we're working on right now is we're renovating our ensuite two-piece bathroom, and it has taken far, far too long. Right now, my biggest hang-up is that I need to, like, tile the floor, and I've never done that before, and it's a little scary. But for a huge part of my life, renovations and doing home projects has been something that's played a big piece. Growing up, my parents and their home that they owned, we were always doing some sort of reno project. 
And this is where I've learned a lot of the skills that I've now taken into my own home. Growing up, my dad renovated his basement and made this amazing man cave. So when we were shopping for our house, we needed an unfinished basement so that I could start to mold our basement into a really cool room like that. It's honestly been really exciting to shape this house to become more of our home. This past summer has been also really shaped by the idea of doing home projects. At about around the same time that we bought our first house, Jess's parents bought the cabin that's been in their family for decades. And it's in this amazing location just outside of Waskasu Lake, and it's been such a space that we've enjoyed. But the only problem is, is that it's needed a little bit of work. Over the past two summers, we've put, they've put on a roof, they've put it on a new foundation, and they've updated the exterior, just to name a few of their projects. On a complete side note, if your father-in-law ever asks you to dig under the cabin and hands you a small garden shovel, just run. It is not fun, no matter what he says. In all seriousness, it has been a lot of work, but it's been such a great space for their family and for Jess and I. We were up there this last weekend, and it was just amazing. We've been blessed with such amazing weather. All this to say, home improvement and renovations has always been a part of my life, and it continues to be. So at the start of this series, when Pastor John used the phrase, the strength of this house is, that immediately grabbed my attention. That's been a phrase that's been rattling around my head the last couple of weeks. So this week, I want us to continue on that thought. I want us to examine our house, meaning examine our church and see if we can't find a few points of strength in the process. With this being a season of restarting, it might be helpful for us to examine the house and see what makes it strong. To use house imagery again, maybe it's time to do a home inspection, to look around, to take a look at the foundation and the overall construction of the house. So let's look at this house this morning, at what it should be, its intended design, and let's look at what it could be. Because as we restart and rebuild things after the last number of pandemic years, we want to rebuild with strength. So if this is our goal for our time together, perhaps we should start with one of the early architects. Let's start with the person that Jesus called the rock that he would build his church on. He might know something about this house. So if you have your Bibles handy or your Bible app at the ready, we are going to look at one of Peter's letters. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10, which if you're looking, that will be found in the New Testament, which is in the second half of your Bible. And when you get there, just start flipping towards the back. If you get to 2 Peter, you've gone 1 Peter too far. I wasn't sure if that joke was going to land, but I'm really glad it did. A quick note before we start, 
This morning, we're primarily going to be camping in verse 4 and 5. The reason I want to read the whole passage is that I want to give you some context. And I think what Peter does throughout the whole passage is that he reinforces the concepts that he brings in verse 4 and 5. So let's start reading at verse 4. Again, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The way that Peter structures these verses is how he's going to break everything up from here. He starts by reinforcing Jesus, the living stone, and then he cycles back to us, the living stones. He continues, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to, the, but to those of you who do not believe, the stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Here, Peter, we're not going to unpack all of this, but here Peter is quoting Old Testament scriptures. All of these passages are pointing to Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, and he's doing it to provide us examples of this happening centuries before Jesus' birth. Peter continues, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful, into his wonderful light. You were, not a, you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think that in just these few verses, we can get a pretty good outline or blueprint to the design of what the church is supposed to look like. But it might just need a little bit of translating for us because the imagery and themes woven into this passage are thick and many. When we look at these themes, the most prominent image that we should see and that Peter is focusing on here is actually temple imagery. Now, using this kind of imagery, Peter is providing us with a helpful blueprint. He uses the temple and its system as a point of reference for us and to his original readers. And he does this so that we get a better understanding that God is building a new house in and through Jesus. You'll notice, though, that these blueprints aren't just for a new house, but actually a blueprint for his updated plan to redeem all of his creation. Peter starts by catching our imagination with the image 
of living stones. And he starts to paint a picture of Jesus, the living stone, and those of us who follow him as living stones as well. Between the two, we, along with Jesus, make up the building materials that make up a spiritual house. Or rather, or put in another way, a house for God's spirit to dwell. If you know the biblical story, all of this should remind us of Israel's long history with tents and temples, places where God's spirit and presence dwelt among his people. The whole religious system for Israel revolved around these places because this is where God was. But something strange happened with Jesus. At the exact moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the curtain in the temple ripped, forever removing the separation of man and God. And then even further, at Pentecost, God's Spirit started to fill people and not places anymore. Between the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's Spirit dwells among his people, in us, in his church. Not church the building, but church the people. God's Spirit is no longer confined to one place. This is the kind of house that he is building, not one of bricks and mortar, but of people filled with his spirit. I don't know if you know this, but if this building did not exist, we could still do church. The last number of years of being online and not physically here has taught us that. The church isn't a physical building, but a people. And we could stop here and rest in this truth alone. Because how amazing is the fact that the God of the universe wants to dwell among us and that through and in Jesus, we can experience the Spirit of God in us. We no longer need a temple or a building to be close to God. God is very near. God's house isn't supposed to be a building anymore. It's supposed to be a people gathered. Matthew 18, 20 says, For when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. No longer is God's spirit confined to a tent or temple. It now dwells in and with his people gathered. However, Peter chooses this house imagery. And this imagery of a house being built up with stones. And not just any stones. He very intentionally says, living stones. When we read this, we should see that that means us. We are now the building materials of this house. 
I think he uses this image to remind us that no building is built up with just one stone, or rather, a few stones. It takes many stones linked together to build a new dwelling for God's Spirit. When you leave the service this morning and as you rush to your car for turkey and pumpkin pie, take a moment to look outside at this building looking at the bricks that make up parts of it. If there were only a few bricks in the wall, the whole thing would fall over. That's the same metaphor that Peter is using. It takes many stones or many bricks to build up a building. And I think the same is true here at Circle. The strength of this church is represented by the many stories and faces that we see when we look around or that are joining us online. This church is built up when we come together, when we commit to one another, to, to a community of people. And the beautiful thing is that God is continuing to build his church here every single week. New stones are being constantly added. God is continuing to build something here. If you're new to Circle, or maybe this is your first time, or you've been here a few Sundays, know that you are now part of something. You are part of a community of people. You no longer walk alone. God is building you into this house, into this people. If your desire is to get better connected to the people here, definitely let us know that. Danae mentioned the connection card at the beginning. That is a great way to be known. Or you can visit us at the information desk afterwards. Because our desire here is that this house, this people, feels like a home, feels like a place that you can belong. Now, don't mishear me here. For me, this isn't a numbers thing. The more, the merrier, the more, the better. That's not what I'm saying here. The church isn't simply made strong by the numbers of stones or the people that are here. It's not simply about putting another brick in the wall or padding the stats. I've seen and been part of a lot of smaller communities before, and there is incredible strength there as well. What's important is that each stone feels it has a part to play in the structure. Each stone is important to the building. Each stone should be known. Each stone should feel cared for. Each stone should be discipled to be more like Jesus. Each stone has a gift to offer the house. Each stone should feel like it belongs to the building not the physical building, the people. This is the kind of house that God is trying to build here. But I think in order for that to happen, like really happen, I think we have to understand the next part that Peter is getting at here. For Peter, not only are we called to be a place where God's spirit dwells, like a new temple, but we are also now called 
to take on the role of the priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices through Jesus. That might be a little bit confusing, but we're going we're gonna to unpack that. Peter continues to use temple Im- imagery here. But what is he getting at? What is the heart of his point? What does this mean, being a priesthood? And how does that make this house strong? Like Israel's history of tents and temples, they also have a long history of priests working in those places. The role of priest has been something that God has handed down from century after century, from the moment of creation until now. Starting all the way in the beginning with Adam and Eve in their garden temple, on through to Abraham and his family, down to Moses and Aaron and all of Aaron's descendants. When we read the Gospels, Caiaphas is the high priest in the temple. If we look at each priestly example that the Bible offers us, we can see at its most basic level what the role of a priest is. And in turn, what is it that God is calling us into? Now, if we were to boil it down into its most simple idea, a priest is someone who is representing God to others. Priests were God's representatives on earth. Priests also represented people to God, making sacrifices and interceding on behalf of others. They operated as intermediators between God and people. Again, I know that this is a very simple explanation, but we simply don't have time to unpack that whole biblical theology of priesthood. Otherwise, put the pumpkin pie away. The turkey's going to have to wait a little while. There's just so much that we could unpack here. But I do want to provide you with a great resource that will help unpack this. The Bible Project has created a series of six videos on the royal priesthood. There should be a QR code here up on the screen. If you just point your phone camera at it, it'll bring you there. Or just Google Bible Project plus royal priesthood and you'll get there. They do an amazing job of unpacking this whole theme in Scripture. So I highly recommend that if you want to explore this topic further. But for us, and for us this morning, what does this have to do with us? I don't know about you, but I didn't see anyone come in with like the white priest collar this morning. So how do we translate this to us and to our life? Well, I think what Peter is saying in his letter here, is that we, the church, replace both the temple and the priesthood. Not only does God's Spirit dwell with us, His love, His power, His strength, but we are now all called to be God's representatives on earth. We are all now called to be God's representatives to those around us, administering God's blessing to one another, blessing all people. We are now both temple and priest in the new house that God is building. What this means for us is that we all now play a part in what God is doing in his church and among his people and in his creation. 
The role of priest is no longer confined to a few people, but rather something that all followers of Jesus are now called into. The church is made strong when we all participate in that calling. Every stone sees it has a place and a purpose in the structure. The original temple and the original priesthood were a part of God's plan to redeem all things. That plan is now being carried out in his new temple and in his new priesthood. That means us, the church. But for this to take place, it's going to require all of us, not just a few of us. Back in 2017, I was visiting a church in the UK, and they told me this story from a number of years ago where their pastor got up on the stage and began to address a culture that had taken root, a culture where no one really engaged in the life of the church and in the community. No one was really serving or inviting people. Definitely no one was lining up to lead Sunday school or youth group. People just weren't engaging. So one Sunday, the pastor got up on stage in his robes, because it was an Anglican church, and he challenged the church. And he said that one of two things had to happen. Either he stopped wearing the robes and started just wearing normal clothes, or everyone had to show up on Sunday wearing robes. That would be really fun. Not, not, not bathrobes. That's not what I'm talking about here. I mean, if you want to, you can. But it was supposed to act as an image that we all now accept the call to be priests, to be God's representatives in his house. Not just a few of us. When we all accept this call to participate, we will see God's church built up in strength. And not only that, but we will see remarkable things in our midst. That church that I just shared about their story changed radically from that moment. People began to engage. It's the same church that the Alpha Course and the Marriage Course come out of that we use here at Circle. Their influence isn't just in London or in the UK, but it is global. They've initiated over 100 church plants and are playing a major role in revitalizing the Anglican church in the UK. When we all lean in, this church is made strong. While I've been preparing this message, the story of the miracle at Dunkirk keeps coming to my mind. Long story short, at the outbreak of World War II, the British expeditionary force were sent to help the French push back the German advances in northern France. But if you know your history, that didn't go well for them. The Germans pushed them into a retreat towards the port city of Dunkirk, which lays just across the English Channel from the UK. The British government wanted to evacuate as many soldiers as they could off the beach before the Germans got there. But their rescue efforts started out incredibly slow. The massive naval destroyers couldn't get close enough to the beach, so loading soldiers into the boats was incredibly hard. With German warplanes screeching overhead and the sound of gunfire loudening in the distance, the urgency to get their troops home grew. And here's 
where something amazing happened. Ordinary people got involved and extraordinary things happened. In an hour of desperation, King George VI called the nation to a day of prayer to plead with God to intervene in this dire hour. People responded in large numbers, not just the local church prayer teams. People lined up outside of abbeys and cathedrals to pray for the safe return of fathers, brothers, sons, neighbors, and friends. People showed up, and so did God. For whatever reason, the German army halted their advance, allowing the British and French to continue to evacuate the beaches. Then something else happened, an act of God. The clouds and the smoke set in and made the German air attack ineffective, allowing for more time and more of their efforts to go unnoticed. As the nation prayed, people began to be the answers to their prayers. People began to participate in the rescue efforts. Hundreds of civilian boats crossed the rough waters of the English Channel and joined the evacuation efforts. Fishing boats, tugboats, personal yachts, simple motorboats, and a lot of other small crafts went as well. Some helped ferry soldiers from the beach to the large naval destroyers, while others took soldiers home themselves. It was no doubt a miracle that many lives were saved. That's why it's called the miracle at Dunkirk. At the beginning of the evacuation attempt, the British government had hoped that, only that they could get 20,000 people home. Over 300,000 men made it home. All because of a divine human partnership. God and people acting together. The same is possible in the church today. When we, like the British people did at Dunkirk, lean in, we can see miraculous things happen. But that's only possible if we all participate, if we all lean into what God is doing here. That's what it means to be his priesthood, his active representatives in the world. If people had left the evacuation up to the destroyers alone, many men would have been stranded on the beach. But because ordinary people prayed for a move of God and also jumped in their personal ships, many lives were saved. What if we had the same culture in our house? The kind of culture where, we, where each one of us did our part to see this community built up. What if we each participated as Christ's representatives to one another? What if we had the kind of culture that didn't leave it up to just a few people to do that, but that we all saw that we have a part to play? God's priesthood is no longer confined to a few. The invitation is for us all to participate. This is the blueprint that Peter is displaying for us. A new temple built up with stones 
that know where their place and their purpose is. A people, when we see each other and see ourselves as someone who can represent Jesus to each other and to share his blessings with others. When we do this, we become the kind of community where we don't leave it up to others to do, but rather we see it as our calling as well. So where do we start? How can we bring this blueprint to life? How can we build this kind of house where we see ourselves as the temple and the priesthood? Well, we can start by simply showing up. By showing up on Sunday or at your circle group or at circle kids or at youth, you will have an impact in this house. You being here matters. If you aren't here, a piece of the structure is missing. Your presence matters to this community. You are a source of our strength. Let me just say that again. You are a source of our strength. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The church is strongest when you are here, and not just here in the physical building. Rather, rather than just being in the pew, be engaged with the community. God doesn't want us to be lifeless stones stuck on the pile but he wants us to be living stones built into the house. We build the church up, the people, when we are all serving together, not just a few people in a whole bunch of places all over the church, but when we are all doing our part. We help build up the church when we are all giving together, not just a generous few shouldering the load. We build up the church when we are all inviting, not just a brave, courageous few, but when we are all living invitationally. We build up the church in strength when we encourage one another, when we disciple one another, when we care for the needs of one another, when we invest in the lives of one another. Our, ch our church is built up when we pray for it, and those that are a part of it. That's not something that we should ever leave up to just a few prayer warriors. That's our part now as, that's part of our priestly duty now. What would happen in our church and community if there was a line, like we saw in that little clip there, outside the chapel at our next church-wide prayer meeting, or at 7 a.m. at Tuesday morning prayer? What would happen if we saw that kind of a lineup? What if we all saw it as our responsibility to pray for this community? That's something that we can all do and can all participate in. Even the smallest acts like that can have great impact. If we all did this, what miracles could we see here? The miracle of Dunkirk does not happen if it's left up to the politicians, because we all know they work really fast, or the naval battleships. 
This house needs you to be built up. This whole thing might sound incredibly overwhelming. And if you're feeling that, I get it. It's totally okay to feel that way. I think if we look again at Peter's blueprint, we see that all the weight doesn't rest on you. You are not the source of strength, but a source of strength. The truth is, is that we could never build this kind of community or this kind of house without Jesus. We can't be God's dwelling place and his representatives without Jesus. This kind of house does not stand apart from one key stone. All the other living stones can be there, but without him, it's weak. Can't bear any weight. And if it can't bear any weight, at the slightest pressure, it's going to crumble. Bonhoeffer again writes, No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is a brief, single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Peter calls Jesus the cornerstone in his letter. The cornerstone is the most important part of the foundation. It's the stone that provides the orientation. Orientation meaning the direction of the walls and keeping them aligned. Which by that definition makes it an incredibly important stone. But there's actually another way that we can translate the word from Greek here. And I think if we do a little bit of nerding out here, I think we can see an incredibly powerful image as well. A kind of image that communicates that this kind of community is impossible without Jesus. The way Peter uses this word here can also be translated as keystone. Now, it doesn't change the meaning a whole lot, but it just provides us another construction concept. And I think that if we look at this concept, it actually has a lot of power. The keystone is the center stone in a stone archway. So that stone that's red there. The temple, the original temple, would have had lots of arches that looked like this. I didn't draw this, by the way. I'm not much of an artist. The way that the keystone works is that all the stones in the arch lean into it, and the keystone locks them all together. Without it, without the keystone present, the arch can't bear any weight and will crumble. Without Jesus, this community will crumble. Jesus needs to be central to what we do here. Without him, it is impossible to be this kind of community, the kind of community we're talking about. What brings us together, if not Jesus? Now, I want to conclude on this thought. The other reason that I like this image is that all the other stones in the arch lean into each other as they lean into the keystone. Without all the other stones leaning in, there would be no structure. So how are we encouraging one another to lean into Jesus? How are we spurring one another on towards Jesus? 
Are we walking with one another in a way that we are helping each other become more and more like Jesus? How are we discipling and caring for one another? This image is incredibly powerful, friends, because this is how we build this house up strong. All of us leaning into each other as we lean into Jesus. This was Jesus' vision for his church, a church where everyone has a part to play in its construction. Because remember, without you, something's missing. If you're a part of this community, would you take a moment to reflect this week on how you can lean in to others as we all lean into Jesus? Consider leaning in by serving or discipling someone or mentoring or giving. Consider leaning in by investing in the next generation by serving in kids' ministry or youth. Would you consider walking with someone who is looking to become more like Jesus? Would you support and care for one another? As we rebuild this house, would you lean in? Because the truth is, is when we lean into Jesus and into each other, we help build his church here in Stonebridge. We build a strong house where we will see miraculous things happen in and through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for our time together that we could unpack your scriptures together. Father, we just ask that you would continue to build us into a house that your spirit dwells, where we feel your presence and we follow your guidance. And Father, would you give us the strength to be your representatives here on earth, in our community, at our workplace, in our circle group, wherever it is we are, would we represent you well? And Jesus, would you never let us ever forget that you are the source of our strength? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.